Hi, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. Each week, I ask my guests what they do differently that sets them apart in the workplace, what makes them tick, and what makes them so successful. In this episode, I talk with Bhavik Modi about preparing for the future of work. Welcome to The Indispensables. I'm Bruce Tolgan, and today I have Bhavik Modi, Associate Director with BTS, focused on innovation and digital transformation. Uh, I have to say, uh, Bhavik and I uh, have had some great conversations. Uh, he was introduced to me by the great Ted Sunquist, who uh, used to be general manager of the Denver Broncos, no less. So, Vic, welcome to the Indispensables. Absolutely, thanks for thanks for having me, Bruce. Really excited for the conversation. Uh, yeah, me too, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm excited for our listeners to get to know you. Tell us your story. Uh, how did you get to where you are now? Yeah, and no, I've got a you know really interesting background. I was actually born in Mumbai, India, and uh, the first part of my childhood I spent in the Silicon Valley. My dad, um, growing up, he was a part of a few different startups there, and we grew up right behind Apple's headquarters, if you can imagine. And I remember nights going into my dad's office, uh, late night pizzas. Uh, just seeing an entrepreneurial environment kind of taking hold in that era. And uh, very quickly, right around the dot-com burst, uh, we actually ended up moving to Cincinnati, Ohio. Again, I mean, such a big change, right? Silicon Valley to uh, Cincinnati. But I think that was a really formative experience for me in seeing both environments. Uh, and growing up, uh, you know, going through my collegiate years, uh, I thought, hey, I might be interested in finance. So I explored the world of wealth management, venture capital, private equity, corporate banking. And through all of those things, realized I was more interested in building and creating things. And I had this entrepreneurial itch. And uh, luckily for me, I ended up uh, at my current job at BTS, which was going through a major growth trajectory when I joined from a company that historically was focused on building these high fidelity business and wargaming simulations to an end-to-end -end people and talent partner for companies. And so today, um, I focus at BTS on our innovation and digital transformation work that we do, creating immersive experiences, helping companies uh, shift their cultures into ones where innovation and uh, new digital tools can thrive building digital literacy skills. And uh, I focus a lot of my time today on AI and machine learning. Yeah, that's fascinating. And so can you explain like, what is it that, uh, that those uh, systems you're, you're building for folks, what do they, what do they look like? Yeah. So if, if you can imagine um, our core business simulation platform, uh, we co-create those with our clients. So say, for example, you are a Procter & Gamble or a GE or, or, or name the company. We would go in and we would replicate your entire business model. Uh, we'd look at the key uh, trade-offs, the levers that leaders have to pull in running and executing your business strategy and build that into a customized business uh, simulation experience. And then what we do is we bring all these leaders together as traditionally uh, in an in-person environment, right, where you have 30 leaders that are senior at an organization. We split them up into groups of five and they compete against each other in a dynamic environment and running their own company and executing their own strategy. Now, naturally, we've, we've shifted that into a, a virtual world with the same impact. 
That's really, uh, it's just amazing. And I'll bet that you've had to make some pivots during the pandemic, but I bet what you're doing has become even more relevant now. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, we were already on a trajectory as a company in investing in our internal capabilities to do digital training and, and development work really well. And we've bolstered that through acquisitions as well, but the pandemic just accelerated that transition for us. And I think what it really accelerated for us was an understanding and openness from our clients to experiment with virtual. Um, It was a much harder conversation to have before people were forced to work from home. But the pandemic was almost a forcing mechanism to say, okay, well, we still have to develop our people. Uh, We still have to build business acumen, build leadership skills. So BTS, help us think about how to do that in a virtual context and virtual environment. And especially when you're on Zoom meetings all day, looking at presentations all day, having these highly experiential, immersive, hands-on mechanisms to to learn and grow your career, that really resonated, I'd say. And and we've uh, we've opened up a lot of uh, new opportunities for us through that. Yeah, it's amazing the way uh, uh, some organizations have been able to pivot and or their relevance has increased. Uh, during this transformational uh, accident of history. So I, I, I want to I ask you some more about what you've learned in your work at BTS. But first, I do want to uh, mention that you, you also founded uh, a brewing company in uh, Logan Square. Is it Azadi Brewing Company? Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. It's in so- Chicago, right? It is based in Chicago. Yeah. And it's funny. You think about coincidences from the pandemic. I was a very passionate home brewer um, prior to the pandemic. And just with work travel and and facilitating different uh, events and conferences, didn't get a chance to really pursue that. And so at the pandemic, being at home, we said, uh, me and my business partner, we said, why don't we do this? And uh, Azadi Brewing Company, we uh, focus on Indian-inspired beer that's um, inspired by the flavor, spices, and cuisine of India. And so we've had some fun uh, local collaborations. We just did a collaboration with a brewery in India. where in India and in Chicago. We released the exact same beer with tea that was picked by uh, female-owned tea sellers in India, uh, which uh, women traditionally haven't really been included in the tea industry. And so we've really uh, enjoyed that collaboration as well. That's amazing. Well, congratulations on that. That's It's Azadi Brewing Company. That's what it's called? Correct, Azadi. And Azadi means uh, freedom or liberty. It's uh, Our logo is actually... Um, uh, something called the Gandhi cap, which Mahatma Gandhi and uh, various Indian freedom fighters wore uh, during the independence movement. And one of the things that we try to do is uh, break free from the traditional norms and become independent from you know, traditional craft brewing and open up a new audience to the craft beer industry, which uh, we hope to do with the Indian population. So it, are you running a, uh, an establishment where people can come in or you just ship uh, beer? We've been uh, focused on distribution just through the pandemic while things were closed. Uh, We are planning to open our own space uh, at some point in the future. Uh, We actually luckily have partnered uh, with another brewery called Pilot Project Brewing that's based in Logan Square, where we share a tasting room space. They handle production and distribution for us right now. Um, And so if you ever want to try our beers, if you're in Chicago, you can go there or uh, various local restaurants as well. That's fantastic. And I mean, are these beers like K 
can you order them on the internet uh, or are you uh, distributing primarily through liquor stores and supermarkets and so on? We're, we're in Whole Foods. We're in liquor stores. Unfortunately, with some of the uh, prohibition era laws in alcohol, you can't really do a lot of the uh, distribution that other consumer goods companies can do out of state. Uh, so right now, our, our licenses are just for Illinois. But uh, I'll tell you, Bruce, I think um, we've had a few people sneak them out of the state of Illinois <laughs> and take them other places. Yeah. Well, we've had uh, Kara and Theo Golden, uh, the founders of Hint, uh, on the show. And uh, so they, they have shared with us some of the issues of distributing uh, even uh, water with just a hint of flavor. I guess uh, uh, distributing beer is even more complex. What's it like uh, having a full-time job working at BTS and also having this uh, brewing company, Azadi Brewing Company? How, how do you balance that? Yeah, I've been very lucky. My uh, leadership team here at BTS, um, they were actually uh, very supportive when when I first came up with the idea. I would bring them home-brewed batches that we were doing in our garage. They were my first uh, testers, really, uh, along with a few actually BTS clients. What's been nice has been you know, opening a brewery can be a major risk. That's multiple millions of dollars if you start off with the tap room uh, and production facility. What we've been able to do is kind of de-risk the process of innovation and brewing. We started off, you know, contract brewing with pilot project. We outsourced our sales. Uh, We do some of our marketing ourselves. But a lot of the things that keep brewers busy, we've been managing to outsource. And so I'm not spending a lot more time than maybe one day a week on weekends actually working on the brewery. Um, And so it's allowed me to spend a lot of time at BTS uh, as my full-time job. And then outside of BTS, it's allowed me to kind of explore my creativity, my passion for entrepreneurship. And generally, you know, I, I have lots of friends and other folks that through this pandemic have learned that you can do multiple things at once effectively. I think that's the way work is honestly shifting in the future is being able to balance a lot of uh, different objectives and different projects and different interests as well. Um, one of the areas that you're focused on and that you have expertise in is is the future of work. Tell us more about that. I know that's an area uh, of, of research and interest for you and something that you're helping your clients at BTS uh, invent the future of work, right? Yeah. And it's, it's so funny uh, it, when people use the word expert, right? Bruce is like, we, we don't know what the future is, uh, right? You, no one could have seen this pandemic coming. There's clients that I have that uh, never thought their people would ever be able to work from home. They didn't even have the equipment to do it, but that process was accelerated pretty fast. And so when we talk about the future of work at BTS, it really fits into the work that we do Uh, around the topic of innovation. Because when it comes to innovation, all it is is trying to discover and solve problems under conditions of uncertainty. And when you look at the future of work, there's a lot of conditions of uncertainty. Are people going to be in the office or out? What does commuting look like? What does business travel look like? What type of technology is going to be needed in that future? And so what we try to do at BTS and help our clients with. And what I've been working on lately is helping clients think about how can you scale today's business model that you already have while creating the environment, both strategically and with your work environment, in which your people can discover their business and their workplace of tomorrow. Um, And I think when it comes to the future of work, what we want to do right now is create the right environment, the right behaviors so that people can 
shape their organization's culture and workplace in the future. And just one more point on that, Bruce, is that you know, I think one of the things that I've personally learned and I think we've learned collectively at BTS is that strategy is extremely contextual. Your culture is very contextual, right? A great leader at a Boeing might not be a great leader at Apple. And so every single culture is different. And I think you have to honor what's unique, especially when you look at the future of work too. Yeah, I think that's so savvy of you to to point that out. Um, I just did a program yesterday. I'm managing through uncertainty. And I said there what I always say, which is uh, the, the first thing you have to do is find some anchors, like what's not going to change your mission, your values, gravity, God willing, or, you know, whatever, some, what's not going to change. That's what you have to anchor yourself to in order to try to uh, create a future that, that, uh, that makes sense. So uh, I think that's a really savvy observation. You're also involved in helping organizations build a culture of innovation. So how, how, do, how do you do that? How do you help them do that? Yeah, um, we, we work in BTS in, in a lot of different areas when it comes to innovation. Um, one of those is around innovation research and assessing your capabilities of innovation. So taking a look at, you know, what is your company's culture? What's your strategy, your preferences, your behaviors? What matters strategically to you to where innovation makes sense? And the key point around that, Bruce, is that not every problem needs innovation, right? If, if I'm asking you how to mow your lawn, you know how to do that. You, do, you don't need to go through a design thinking workshop to learn how to do, use a lawnmower. But there are certain problems. And I go back to the conditions of uncertainty. There are problems where you have a low degree of prior knowledge and you're making a lot of assumptions about the future where innovation makes sense, starting with the customer coming up with ideas, refining those ideas, experimenting, learning fast and cheap, that makes sense. So we, we do work in, uh, in kind of diagnosing where innovation needs to happen. Then it comes to instructional design and, and program management. So we uh, have several different initiatives focused on innovation, design thinking, machine learning and AI, data-driven decision-making, all um, that are highly experiential and hands-on that allow leaders to practice and internalize the shifts that they need to apply these skill sets and behaviors on the job. And then finally, it comes down to application. Uh, so we do work, uh, we have a design studio in Milan. We have an entire coaching group that we work with um, that allows you to apply innovation into the field as well and bring new products and services to the market. So we do that in a variety of ways. Uh, that's that's all uh, 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 incredible, really. I mean, because it sounds like what you're developing is a practice model, right? So there's a huge amount of technology involved, a uh, huge amount of customization involved um, that you're really problem solving together with the client uh, so that they can leverage your technology and your processes but it sounds like um, maybe the philosophy uh, of change that you are embracing and helping others embrace, it's a practice model. You know, uh, one of the things I find fascinating about any kind of training or coaching or fitness uh, that, of course, you can't do it once, right? You, gotta, you have to put the tools and techniques in place for somebody to practice on an ongoing basis. And it sounds like you equip your clients to do that. 
Yeah, I mean, when you think, and Bruce, you've worked with many of these organizations. When you think of the Navy SEALs, you think about, you know, world championship uh, soccer teams, uh, people that are performing the ballet, they spend an inordinate amount of time practicing versus performing, right? You think about it, they might spend 95% of their time practicing what they're doing. And then 5% on stage or on the field or in the you know battlefield actually performing. Well, in the corporate world, that ratio is completely flipped, right? We're spending 95% of our time performing and we get very little time to practice. And so what we've discovered at BTS is that people learn best by doing. And so when, when companies come to us and say, hey, look, we need to capture the benefits of digital technology, speed, innovation, smart risk-taking, we try to design experiences that help people in a short amount of time bridge the gap between their current state to the desired future state that leadership has. And, and the best way to do that is to practice and internalize those shifts. It's brilliant because, and to your point, I mean, what do elite performers do, right? In any field, elite performers practice, 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 practice. That's why they're elite performers. And uh, so anyone who wants to make a transition without doing that, you know, would be silly. They should. Uh, so instead, call Bavik and, and he'll hook you up. <laughs> and uh, so, so let me ask you, uh, I know you are, are very focused on strategy execution. Um, and uh, I know that that that's something you have a lot of experience with at BTS. What can you tell us about strategy execution and, and the relationship between culture and strategy? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I can't take credit for for this way of thinking, but I've, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants here at BTS. But when we think about strategy execution, um, there's really three components that develop the inner architecture of effective strategy execution. I think number one is alignment. And that is an understanding of where we are going as an organization. You have to start with that. I have a very clear vision for where you're going. The second is mindset. Um, you can be completely aligned. Everyone can know what your five-year roadmap is, but if no one believes in it, you're not going to be in a good position to succeed. So the second is mindset, shifting beliefs and mindset in where and uh, why we are actually going in that direction. And number three is you might be aligned, you might believe in the change, but if you don't have the skills and tools to get there, you're not going to be able to execute on that strategy. And so number three is capability. Do we have the skills and tools to actually execute uh, the strategy that we all believe in? And so um, at BTS, we, we often say strategy execution is a combination of alignment, mindset, and capability uh, coming together. Yeah, I love that model. And how do you change somebody's mindset? Yeah, I, I think at BTS, this is something that uh, we've really been focused on uh, in the past few years. So we, we started as a company that was um, very dedicated to strategy, alignment, business acumen. And then our clients came to us and they said, look, we really need to work on shifting the mindsets and behaviors of our leaders in the field because that's going to accelerate our ability to uh, actually execute on this strategy. And so one of the major acquisitions we made, uh, it's about three years ago now, uh, is a company called Coach in a Box. They were founded on the premise that not only should the top of the organization have access to coaching, but coaching should be democratized and made available to everyone in the company. And so they uh, were really a leader in offering coaching at scale. And through 
over a hundred thousand different coaching conversations um, that were anonymized and uh, the research was pulled from those conversations, they developed a bank of information on mindset. And so at BTS, we have something we call our mindset map, where we've actually mapped out all of the different individual mindset shifts that leaders can make to shift their thinking in the field. Um, those can be shifts around innovation, so how they think in, uh, about different problems. They can be about who they are and as leaders, how they relate to others, as well as a range of other topics too. And, and I think what we realize is that, you know, as leaders, we, we go into situations often with the mindset about who we think someone is, how we think we should approach a situation and shifting our, you know, long built up ways of working and ways of thinking uh, can be incredibly hard. And so that's where the experiential component comes back into it, Bruce, is that if you can give leaders an experience to try on a new mindset, to practice using that mindset and seeing what the results are in a safe learning environment, um, that can certainly help shift their that leader's mindset. Yeah. I mean, imagine learning a new play without scrimmaging, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like, you know, we talk about Ted Sunquist from the Broncos. Imagine the Broncos uh, going to their team and saying, yeah, you know, we're a run first football team. We're, we're going to be an offensive line driven team. And then the next day, the coach is saying, hey, we're going to be a spread offense. We're just going to throw all the time. That's a big shift for players and they have to see it to actually believe it. And so uh, it applies in a lot of different arenas. Yeah. What's so odd is in the business world, uh, you just don't see enough practice. And frankly, there's not enough coaching. I mean, if you're in the business world and you have a coach, uh, right, you're, you're in a unique position and that means they're really investing that, uh, in you, right? Or if somebody's coaching you, it means you have a demonstrated track record of failure. It's, it's one or the other. Either you're a senior executive who can justify a coach, uh, the expense of having a, an, an executive coach, right? Or if, if, if your manager's like, hey, we need to have a coaching session, that's supposed to be bad news. Why, since when is coaching for losers? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's so many organizations where um, getting a coach is a very negative thing, right? People avoid that. And I think we want to shift the the story around coaching to being a very positive thing. Anyone can be a coach. And in fact, le as leaders, our job is to be effective coaches uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Um, especially as you think about the future of work. There's We have employees now that are global. They're operating flexibly, autonomously. And leaders need to ensure that their team and their team members are getting the right opportunities, mentoring, apprenticeship, to continue to coach and drive them towards growth and development. And so um, one of the things that we're, we're noticing is that uh, there's a shift in, in terms of mindsets of leaders to being leaders that coach effectively too. Coaching is for winners and it's for somebody who needs to get better. And um, I, I just don't know anyone who wants to get better uh, would benefit from working with a coach. And I don't know why that... <laughs> You know, sometimes people are low performers precisely because they they don't want to get better. Hey, it just comes back to mindset, right? That's such a big word. It can mean a lot of different things. We all come into different situations where we either have a fixed mindset or, or a more open mindset. Coaching certainly takes a little bit of receptiveness and, and some openness to, uh, to engage in something like that. Bhavik Modi is Associate Director with BTS. We're going to take a little break and we'll be right back. 
Hi, my name is Chris DeFirio, and I run a coffee podcast called Keys to the Shop. But it's not just a podcast to give insights, inspiration, and tools for success to coffee shop owners and operators, but it's a place where we discuss concepts, best practices, and topics that apply widely to the world of small business. So not only do we bring in coffee experts to talk with us on the show, but we bring in outside coffee industry experts, like for instance, our friend Bruce Tulgan, whose work I constantly recommend to my listeners and clients and has been a frequent guest on our show. So whether you're drinking uh, coffee, tea, or whatever, you can follow us on Instagram at keys to the shop. And of course, find out more over at our website, keys to the shop.com. I hope you give keys to the shop a listen and that what you hear there will help you in your professional development. And of course, give you keys to the shop. Okay. We're back with Bhavik Modi, associate director with BTS. And let me say again, co-founder and CEO of Azadi Brewing Company based in Logan Square in Chicago. So, you know, somebody listening to, uh, to you, they might think, well, how, how does he do all this? What's the secret of your success? What, how, do you, how do you operate day to day that allows you to do so much, so well, so fast and build relationships at the same time? The first thing for me, Bruce, is that I'm not really sure I'm successful yet, right? I think there's this innate drive that I've seen people have where they're always looking for something new. They're always looking for something more. And I certainly feel that every day. I don't have personal mission statement or, or anything, but one of the things that I really value is uh, personal growth and development. Uh, learning new things, experiencing new things, trying new things, creating things, all of that motivates me to kind of go beyond the typical nine to five and, and find other opportunities and pursuits that I'm interested in. I mean, but day to day, like you, let's say you've got too much to do and not enough time. What, what do you, <laughs> yeah. how do you decide what's going to go on the back burner? Yeah, I think all of us face that problem today, right? It is, it's certainly not unique to me, but you know, for me, one of the things that I've uh, prioritized this year specifically to work on is to spend more time on tasks that are important, but not urgent, uh, rather than things that are that seem urgent, but aren't actually important or strategic in the long term for us as an organization or me personally. Um, so one of the things that I do when, you know, there's too much to do, there's too little time is I take a bit of an inventory because I think just, you know, pursuing things and starting to work on things isn't uh, effective unless you understand the entire span and scope of everything that, that needs to be done. I often uh, declutter, uh, both physically, uh, my office, my home, just try to clean up the space uh, and just create a bit of a, a nest because, you know, in the, in the thick of work, that can get quite unorganized. Um, and I also digitally declutter. I try to just get all my emails organized into tasks. I try to get my uh, computer organized and look at an inventory of the work that needs to be done and then uh, start batching out and, and prioritizing, uh, prioritizing that work. 
everything you're saying, and I want to draw a bright line under the t- under two things. One, uh, for those who didn't catch the reference uh, of urgency and importance, uh, I recognize that as um, th- there are a few different sources for that. I always cite Stephen Covey because he talks about fourth generation time management in his amazing book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Professor Covey was very kind to me and supportive when I started out in the in the early 90s. I love his approach to time management and his quadrant two is things that are very, very important, but they're not urgent, tend to be the things that we that we back burner, whereas you got to spend more time in quadrant two, things that are very important, but not urgent, because the more time you spend in quadrant two, the fewer quadrant one activities you have, which are urgent and important, and you start to channel quadrant three activities, which are basically interruptions, things that are urgent, but not important. So I love the quadrant two uh, approach that Covey teaches. And, and, and so I want to draw a bright line under that. And then I want to draw a bright line under the fact that you said you try to declutter and get organized. I mean, that's a classic quadrant two, right? Because when you declutter and get organized, that's gonna make you more effective. It's, it's, um, my wife asks me every single day, what, what are you doing today? And I say, step one, gotta get organized. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's how you manage your week. That's how you manage your day, right? I think that, you know, when you think about time management, it can be a little bit of a misnomer, right? I think you, you can't create more time, and, but you can manage yourself around that time effectively. So when I think about that quadrant two work, um, I've, I've heard it called uh, the Eisenhower matrix uh, before as well. But I think that when it comes down to getting into quadrant two activities, you have to prioritize and, and create time for those in advance. And so when I look at my calendar for the week, I often have these large blocks where I'm just spending time, whether it's business development, whether it's reading, you know, whatever it might be, as Covey says, to sharpen the saw, um, because it makes me more effective uh, later on. And I'm not perfect at it. I, I, you know, get caught up in other urgent things all the time, but uh, it's something I'm certainly working on. I always say uh, there's 168 hours in a week. Nobody's making any more of them, but in a way... Quadrant two is like a time factory because think about how much time people expend unnecessarily uh, solving problems that never had to happen in the first place. And if I think about where I am in my career uh, today and just some of the transformative experiences I've had, it was because I spent a little bit of time in that quadrant. One of those, Bruce, is networking. I landed at BTS. I opened a brewery. I did all these things because I invested time in that network in advance, even though at the time as a college student or wherever I was at that point in life, it might have not been the most urgent thing for me. So 100% agree. I think that it, it pays off in the end. So tell me uh, about your working relationships. Your uh, You have a lot of people uh, you work with at BTS and then the clients. And what's your approach to engaging with people and uh, what's your your philosophy of relationships? One of the things I've loved about BTS and um, what I I hope to take with me wherever I go in my career um, has been this culture that is big hearted and high performing. And I think in today's modern workplace, you really need both things to to work out, right? I think on one hand, um, you have to empathize. Like people are bringing 
their whole selves to work more than ever before. You're seeing their kids and their pets in the back of their Zoom calls. They're balancing all these different commitments. And so um, having empathy, uh, wanting to see people grow and develop um, is incredibly important. And hopefully, you know, whether you're introverted, extroverted, whatever it might be, people should see that through your actions. And I try to show that uh, wherever possible. On the other side of it, being high performing, I think it comes down to trust, right? Are you someone that is going to follow through on your commitments? Are you someone that's going to spend time preparing for commitments? Are you knowledgeable about things that you claim to be knowledgeable about? I think building trust takes time. Um, and I've been very fortunate. I've, I've followed leaders that have trusted me to take big risks, to try new things. And, and I've always wanted to follow through on that. And so that that's certainly the trust aspect is um, has been very important for me. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, uh, without trust, um, how can you make commitments and uh, how can you keep commitments? And yet uh, it requires making commitments and keeping commitments to build trust. So once you have a track record and a reputation and a relationship of mutual trust and confidence, uh, of course, those relationships are golden. Right. I call them mutual go to relationships. You go to me. I go to you together. I call it go to ism. Right. But what do you do at the outset of a relationship? So one of the things um, somebody asked me this a while back that, oh, yeah, build, you know, hey, you got to play the long game and build your relationships. Uh, and the way you play the long game is by meeting your commitments. And when you meet one commitment after another, you know, then you build a reputation of trust and that's playing the long game. And somebody asked me, yeah, well, but what if uh, I'm starting from scratch? Uh, how do you accelerate the trust building process? I think it actually happens before you ever have that meeting, Bruce. Um, for me, it's always been about preparation. Um, you know, I, I remember, uh, when I moved to Cincinnati, um, Cincinnati is a very parochial town, right? Everyone knows each other. I was a bit of an outsider coming in. I didn't know anybody. And so I had to build my network from scratch. And uh, I still talk to many of those folks today that I met uh, as a high school or a college student in Cincinnati, in fact. And I think for me, it was all about preparation going into each conversation. I would look up everything about them. Right. I at that point, we didn't have many podcasts, but any interviews that they did, any articles that they wrote, what they were posting online, I wanted to know every single thing about that person so that they didn't have to repeat advice for me. You could build on what they've already said in the past and ask much more provocative questions, maybe challenge their thinking, introduce them to new concepts and ideas. I always try to uh, be prepared. And, and that paid off because then they would say, okay, this person is interesting enough. This Bavik guy who I've never met before is interesting enough that I can introduce him to someone in my network and he isn't going to let me down. He's not going to make me look bad. And so I think preparation has always been uh, the number one thing for me. Yeah. Preparation takes time, uh, but it pays off, right? And, and, you know, I think the other piece of it is prioritization. Just come back to that matrix. You know, I, you don't need to talk to everyone in the world, right? I think a lot of times when you enter uh, a new company, I remember I, I worked a big uh, corporate job in finance. They said, oh, just go network. 
right? There wasn't a lot of guidance on like, who should I talk to? And I ended up talking to the facilities people. And that was a very interesting conversation on how you manage facilities, but it didn't have much relationship to my work in finance. And I talked to hundreds of different people. And then I realized through that process, I was like, you know what? I need to focus on people that are either going to challenge my thinking that bring a diverse viewpoint or people that are going to elevate my understanding of a certain topic. And so once you start focusing, you can create more time for preparation. No matter who you're talking with, the more prepared you are, the more likely it is that you're going to be able to optimize the investment of time. Yeah. And the facilities, it's actually kind of a funny story and speaks to my intelligence as a very, very young uh, working professional at the time. But um, we, when we first joined this organization, um, we had gone through a boot camp or a training of sorts where they talked about credit facilities and different types of credit facilities. And so I said, okay, let me go look up on our internal uh, you know, name service, everyone who works in facilities. And so I talked to a few people that were managing credit facilities and I accidentally reached out to someone who was actually in charge of real corporate facilities and real estate and that type of thing. And so um, it was a happy coincidence, but Funny enough, I'm still in touch with that gentleman too to today because I've I've learned things in opening a brewery about uh, space considerations, taxes, things like that that um, you know happen to happen to pay off many years after the fact. It's very rare that I talk with anyone from whom I I conclude I had nothing to learn. You can learn something from everybody, and I think that um, you know when you when I talk to college students and when people say you know Bavik you know how did you end up where you are? Um, I often talk about just having a very diverse network of people that, you know, I went into conversations with just a lot of curiosity. I I was lucky enough to be on a college campus where we had a top five design school, a top performing arts school, a great engineering school. I would make friends with all these folks. I would learn, I would go to their exhibitions, I would go to their shows. And gosh, I mean, you learn so much more from people that are outside of your field and find ways to bring that into your field than you do just talking to SMEs or experts in your field. And that's something that I still apply today. Yeah. And if you talk to subject matter experts, of course, you know, you can uh, drill down and learn more about uh, uh, your subject matter. And, you know, if 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 it's technical, I mean, that stuff changes so fast. Uh, you got to learn pretty fast to stay ahead of the obsolescence curve, I'm guessing. But there's something about going outside your discipline, uh, talking with people uh, who know about stuff entirely unrelated it's like food for the brain, food for the imagination. You know, I always tell people the body thrives on routine, but the brain thrives on diversity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think we're all out here, especially people that are interested in being indispensable, like the name of your podcast, Bruce, we're all interested in having those aha moments, right? So sometimes when we're in a conference room, when we're asked to brainstorm, we don't always think of our best ideas, but then we go home, we're in the shower and you have that click where you're like, oh shoot, you know, this would be a great idea to solve this problem. And oftentimes that aha moment is created by bringing together two unrelated concepts, perhaps a concept that was stuck in your brain from a conversation way long ago that you're now recalling and bringing together to solve a problem. And so that diversity is, uh, is, is very important and something I really value. 
Yeah, I find that in reading, like um, one of the things that distracts me from reading is when whatever book I'm reading um, right now, I'm reading President Obama's new book um, and uh, uh, former President Obama. You know, whenever I'm reading, the thing that distracts me the most is I get a few pages in and I get an idea. And I'm like, oh, I got to go write something. Uh, uh, but 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 there's not Kurt Vonnegut famously said that when you read the work of a great mind, you have the opportunity to think the thoughts of a great mind. Absolutely. Yeah. And I remember all these, you know, Walter Isaacson books, right, of Einstein and Jobs, and you just read them. And there's so many times where you pause, you're like, oh my God, that's such a brilliant idea. And even in President Obama's book, um, when he was talking about his run as a state senator going to Springfield, I'd start looking up the speeches that he was talking about in his book. And it, it's so easy in today's era to go down rabbit holes. And I think you learn something from from each one uh, that you go down. Yeah. And uh, uh, curiosity is such a powerful engine of creativity, uh, such a powerful engine of good mental health and happiness, too, I think. Absolutely. I 100% agree. I know you also are focused on uh, emerging leadership trends. Uh, your work at BTS uh, has put you in dialogue with so many people about uh, so much that you're, um, you've learned a lot about emerging leadership trends. And I want to hear about that because, you know, I will tell you, uh, just put my cards on the table. I often say to leaders, you know, flavor of the month, flavor of the month, flavor of the month. I don't know. I think that 99.9% of managers, uh, what they need is to get back to the fundamentals. It's take a walk every day and eat your vegetables. It's structured communication. It's make expectations clear. Talk about resource needs. Follow up, follow up, follow up. But, but I know uh, you also have your finger on the pulse of emerging leadership trends. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, uh, what you're learning in that area? What's your perspective on that? Yeah. And specifically, when we talk about emergent leadership uh, trends, I'll talk about my domain in innovation and digital transformation. And this is work that our uh, chief innovation officer, uh, Peter Mulford, has, has really led for us. But when you think about traditional leadership skills, uh, those were skills such as what we call today forward planning. Coming up with the project idea, forecasting an ROI, creating a project plan, and then having various stages that start from today and, and look forward. Or it can be around linear thinking, you know, thinking that the world today uh, is going to progress at the same rate that it always has. Or uh, marketing-driven design, leveraging experts like we talked about, planning and waiting, digital being IT's jobs. Those are all traditional leadership mindsets. And what we have discovered about emerging leadership skills are that they're almost the opposite, where instead of today forward planning, you look at what the future holds and plan from the future back, right? Think about, hey, you know, these trends are starting to emerge. There's some early signals for these things. Let's look at what could be possible in the future and then go backwards to figure out how is we can leaders can prepare for that uncertain future. Instead of linear thinking, how can we start thinking divergently, looking at diversity, applied creativity? How can we get a lot of those ideas and spark our curiosity uh, to think a little bit more broadly than we have before? How can we use skills like design thinking? How can we uh, expand the distance from the field that we're working in today to have a broader network to tap into for ideation and idea flow? 
And then finally, the last two things that I think that are the most important for leaders today are a shift from traditional leadership that's very much focused on planning and waiting to a shift to speed and experimentation. Uh, you know, Bruce, you mentioned how quickly things are changing. I think that as leaders, we need to create an environment where it's okay to experiment, test things early, test things fast and cheap, and continuously learn from failure, uh, especially when it comes to uh, new digital tools and technologies. There's just something new out every single day, and you're never going to learn everything before you apply it. So you'd you know, much rather, you know, do a demo, try something out in the workplace, and uh, learn from it. Um, so anyway, I, I think there, there's a lot of different skill sets and mindsets that we've discovered so far and we continue to discover. I, I, I hear what you're saying, that these are emerging leadership trends uh, compared with a lot of the traditional uh, emphasis that leadership uh, training and thinking has, uh, has followed. Uh, but it sounds like a lot of the principles you're describing, maybe people should have always been doing that stuff. I, I realize that it's, it's more necessary now in this highly interconnected, rapidly changing, fiercely competitive, knowledge-driven uh, global environment. But it sounds like a lot of what you're uh, tapping into there you know, are things that maybe would have been valuable anytime. I love the way you think about it, Bruce, in terms of coming back to basics. You always need to communicate well. You always need to manage your time well, coach effectively. All of these things are not new. They've just taken on a growing importance in the world we live in. Things are just moving so much faster. You're not leading just through one big change curve. And then when you're at the end of that change curve, things are good. You're constantly leading in change now. There's multiple S-curves and change curves that you're dealing with as an organization. And so I think having uh, some of these leadership skills um, and amplifying skills that maybe we should have been doing in the past, but now are more important it is an incredibly good call out. I love uh, your perspective on on how things are evolving. And look, sometimes uh, push-ups may have always made, made you strong, but somebody must have invented them at some point. <laughs> exactly, yeah. As we're uh, nearing the end of our time together, uh, let me ask you, uh, the, I always ask people at the end, you know, if, if you got on uh, the bottom of an elevator and you had an elevator ride um, and uh, to give somebody some, some advice, you know, if somebody's thinking, wow, this guy sounds so smart and so accomplished, how could I be more like Bhavik Modi? Uh, what's your sort of elevator pitch of uh, takeaway advice for, for anyone? Yeah, I'd say um, my advice is really grounded in how you can be innovative, creative, curious, open to new ideas, and prepared for um, a future that, that's uncertain. And I think all of that comes down simply to being an explorer. Uh, and what I mean by that is continuously finding opportunities to meet people that are different than you, experiencing new things, traveling. Uh, even if you can't get on a plane today, Go watch a show on Netflix about another country. Go eat another country's cuisine. Learn about their literature or their arts and continuously educate yourself about topics outside of your domain. You know, when it comes to advice for me, Bruce, I don't think that the career I have today 
may even be, exist 10 years from now to people that could be listening that are in high school, college, et cetera. And so you just need to be nimble, agile, and aware of a lot of different things and have range so that you can adapt um, your ability to lead and uh, to influence to whatever context or job that you're in. So that's my number one tip. Be an explorer. Yeah, absolutely. Bavik Modi, Associate Director with BTS, CEO and co-founder of Azadi Brewing Company. Thank you for being a guest on The Indispensables. Thank you so much, Bruce. In our next episode, I'll talk with my old friend Brad Behrens about the power of language and what you can learn from Shakespeare. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at goto underscore podcast. That's at goto underscore podcast. Learn more about GoToism in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, wherever books are sold. And you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com. Until next time, stay strong and stay indispensable.